My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. And uh, I love the series that we're in, The Witness, The Work of God Among His People. And so today it's my privilege to continue as we explore Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going right back to verses 42 through 47. And so for a brief review... One of the things that we're discovering here at Pearland Vineyard is our life together can be expressed in three really clear ways as a community. Our life is a life with God. This, this energizing relationship that we're seeing, the evidence of that kind of relationship among the people uh, gathered in the upper room, first followers of Jesus, uh, people who are awakened at Peter's preaching in Pentecost. We, we see this great awakening in terms of the hearts and lives of people of a relationship with God. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, that relationship with God works itself out in relationship with others. Uh, koinonia, that's the word that uh, Kurt used last week in terms of fellowship. Koinonia is a Holy Spirit-empowered breath of life that awakens us to unity. A unity that yeah, I, I think, I'll say it this way, likely impossible without the empowering presence of the Spirit. A unity that allows us to live together. And you, man, when you read 42 through 47, there was this generosity in unity. They just shared all their stuff. And that was a really, really good thing. So, life with God, life with others. And then the third statement that we also see in Acts 2, 42 through 47 is life on mission with God. The, the video from the Bible Project says that the good news of God started with the promise of the Spirit being outpoured. And then it says that they went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they went from here to near to far. And that's the invitation that we all have together in terms of living a life with God, a life with others, and a life on mission with God together. Uh, as I begin this morning, I, I want to just point out a couple of resources that might be available. I'm holding one in my hand. Uh, this is a really hard book to find, uh, but it is available. I, I, I did a search this week. Don't, don't pay top dollar for it. It's cheaper. You know, there's some really high prices out there for this book, uh, but you can find them for a reasonable price. The, the, the book is titled Start Here, Kingdom Essentials for Christians by Don Williams, uh, a vineyard pastor who's gone on to his reward with Christ. But he is an incredibly gifted writer and teacher. One of my favorite preachers in the vineyard. No matter where Don started in scripture, what you knew you were going to get before he was finished was a full overview from Genesis to Revelation. And somehow or another, he always made all the dots connect all the way through. This is an incredibly wonderful book. Also a book that's very helpful to us in the vineyard. It actually shapes who we are. Is a book by George Eldon Ladd called "The Kingdom," uh, the Gospel of the Kingdom. It's a really small book, and it's readily available, widely available. And I would encourage you to uh, be informed about what informs us in terms of understanding a way to live life with God, to live life with others, and to live life on mission 
with God together. So it's my privilege today to bring to you um, this time. And so last week, Kurt was developing the concept out of Acts 2, 42 through 47. And he talked about fellowship and prayer, the life of God among the people of God in Acts 2, 42 through 47. I want to tackle the second half of that. And today I want to talk to you about uh, a life of worship and witness. Let me help explain that a little bit more because when I'm talking about a life of worship and witness, what I want you to hear me say is a life of worship and witness is a life that is experiencing a growing love of God and for one another. Worship and witness. Witness is learning to love one another, here, near, and far. Worship is learning to love God better, and those two go together, are inseparable because each is necessary for the other. And so, if you want, you can turn um, your Bibles, your smart devices to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. And verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, as I was doing my work in preparing for today, I just really had this sense um, that I said, like, you know, we have to pause and ask a question here. What in the world are we talking about when we say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Like, We could just go like all kinds of places with that thought, with that idea. And while I was ruminating on that in my preparation, here's the thought that came to me. And so pause for a moment with me. When we ask what's meant by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, I wonder if, I wonder if, some, Jesus, some of Jesus' words that were very recent were ringing in their ears. I just wonder if some recent words of Jesus were ringing in their ears. And so what came to my mind, and Luke does this, but also Matthew does this as well in their Gospels, and I want to talk from Matthew's arrangement of Jesus' words, what you know perhaps as the Great Commission Uh, what some have observantly called the church's great omission. We we haven't lived it out very well. And let me just suggest to you, no, no condemnation. I think the challenge that stands before the church today is what does it look like to live well the loving witness of God in the cultural waters in which we swim? And if you haven't been praying about that, I want to invite you to pray about that. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to live well the love of God in the cultural waters in which we swim? But here are the words of Jesus as given to us by Matthew in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 22. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Some highlighted words. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, Teach them to obey everything I've commanded with you. Now you get the repertoire. Just go back and read the Gospels for everything that Jesus taught. Their teaching could include any and all of that. They had a large opportunity to invite people to follow the practices and the teachings of Jesus. But here's the kicker for me. Devoted to the... Apostles' teaching was their commitment and their understanding that wherever they went, Jesus was with them. I am with you always. And Pentecost is the awakened reminder of the near words, the recent words of Jesus that we are never alone. And the work of the Spirit in the community of faith, develops and builds us up in fellowship and prayer and worship as well as witness. Let's continue. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the church or added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's where I want us to land today. When I unpack that, I want us to get attached to the notion of the work of God in them and through them. Worship and witness, I believe, is dependent upon being filled with the awe of the presence of God. Just everyone was filled with awe. They were not awful folks they were all filled folks when i think about those all filled folks i see them because they were gathered these were the disciples of jesus these were the 120 in the upper room these were the first followers of jesus those who have known him and walked with him along the way and additionally this group of people We're from the growing group of converts. Imagine the explosion of followers of Jesus when the 3,000 were added at the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Those who have all said yes to the invitation of Jesus and are beginning to live a new life in him. Pause as we are. See, 
there's this opportunity for our lives and their lives to be merged together because this life of all that fills us is the life of God that is shared with us in the work, in the work and ministry, the word of Jesus. This shared life is one of proclamation and presence of word and deed, a growing love in which a good name in the neighborhood is at work. It is the work of awe and wonder in us and through us. Can I just pause for a second and talk about awe and how we, like, how we experience it? It's just some thoughts. I think, I think all has two possibilities. Like these are some commonalities that I experience with, with all. All comes to me when I expect it. When, I, when I'm looking for it. Okay, so you say, whoa, 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 what do you mean? How, how? Okay, my first ever trip to the Grand Canyon, I was 13 years old. My, I was 13 years old. And I knew we were going to go on a trip to the Grand Canyon. And so um, I had to use uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica. For those of you who have no clue, that's the uh, printed form of what's available electronically that you hold in your hand. And a whole, lot, a whole lot more. Like, your house couldn't hold the library of Encyclopedia Britannica. It's just too small. Just too many volumes of Encyclopedia Britannica. But I, I remember as a 13-year-old looking. And you know what happened when I was exploring the possibilities of the wonder of the Grand Canyon? There were some, okay, this was really cool, some black and white drawings. Not very impressive by today's standards, but pretty awesome by standards of the day all the way back then. Yeah, you know, like 1968. So my expectation was this is an awesome place. So I had a building anticipation. I was so excited. I was so happy. And when we drove to the rim of the canyon, when I stepped out of the vehicle and we walked to the edge of the rim, my breath was taken away. Because the experience of the canyon was substantially more beautiful and awesome than the pages of the Encyclopedia Britannica presented. I'll never forget it. That first trip, as I stood looking to the south rim of the canyon, we were sort of in the middle, we were looking toward the south rim, there was a thunderstorm coming down the canyon and we were standing over above it. The clouds had been captured by the rim and they were right at the top of the rim and we were standing in a place where we could see the tops of the clouds with flashes of lightning and we could hear the thunder and you could see the rain falling. It was absolutely incredibly awesome. Can I suggest to you that there are ways 
in which we can expect God to meet us. But when we really come into his presence, whatever our expectation was, is a bigger surprise than we ever imagined. And can I just tell you, you've all lived these and I won't use any example except to say, just walking in your everyday ordinary life, you have been bushwhacked by the surprise of the awesome nature and presence of God. Think about the last time God surprised you in your everyday ordinary life with a moment of breathtaking awe. Breathtaking awe. See, this to me, I think, is the characterization of the work of God in his people. Expectation and surprise. Surprise without expectation. It's this learning to live in a following of Jesus. And I love what Don Williams says when he says, we live the new life with Jesus in continual surrender. We surrender to his word, his spirit, his voice, his present and future for us. Paradoxically, our freedom is found in surrender. The expectation of surrender and the surprise of surrender is the source of awe. I just, I just think that's the way that it works. And I think this is what is at work. And so when I think about the awe that was present, what my mind goes to is simply the teaching of Jesus. Again, Matthew 28, they were reminded, I think, of the words of Jesus that were recently present. But the teaching of Jesus, and if you go back to a sneaky lawyer who was trying to trip him up, Jesus has said that the embodiment of kingdom life is found in two things. He says it's found in two loves. The path or a path of transformation and fulfillment of all our kingdom expectations and our kingdom surprises come from this. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And he says this. Love God with everything you've got, heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. May I suggest to you that for us to experience these two things, these two loves, we're invited to surrender. And let me just say to you, the fruit of surrender is a growing love of God and others. I think that's what Jesus is saying. The fruit of surrender is a growing love, a growing love of God and others. Again, in another place, Don Williams says, I've learned that the heart of biblical worship is surrender and that it begins at the moment of conversion. So a first fruit, a first fruit of surrender 
is worship that transforms us. Worship that transforms us. Peter, in his message to the people in uh, following Pentecost, he says, All Israel, know this, there's no longer room for any doubt. God made him, Jesus, Master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed on the cross. And he says this, here it is, Change your life, turn to God, be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus, so your sins will be forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, this awesome, awe-filled invitation of surrender to Christ leads us to a place of obedience and worship before Jesus. N.T. Wright says this, he says, we become like what? Or who we worship. You say, wait a minute, I, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. Well, let me explain it. Worship always shapes who, who we are. So, turning to or surrendering to Jesus is the appropriate life-giving response to the good news of Jesus. That surrender moves us toward him. That surrender moves us toward him but we also know that there are all kinds of things calling to us and inviting us to live a different kind of life and so the life if there's a life that moves us toward Jesus we also are aware that there is a life that moves us away from Jesus and so living a life given to self-centeredness and self-absorption is an unhealthy expression of movement that moves us away from Jesus. In his work, Don Williams says that Psalm 135, uh, verses 15 through 18, this beautiful thing about the glory and the worship of God uh, and what God is at work doing also has a word of warning in it. And here's the word of warning from Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18. Hear this. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Can I ask you, What other affections are inviting you to turn away from following Jesus and fulfill your self-absorbed, self-centered way of living? I, I don't know what they are. I know some of the things I, I wrestle with. I, I wrestle with uh, resources getting my eyes focused on too much what my need is. And so I, I, I want to establish my sense of well-being by the amount of um, money that's in my retirement account on my bank account. I told Donna the other day, we're not looking at the retirement account. You, you know, we're not paying any attention to it right now. That's all money that's on paper. It's not ours until we have it in our hands. It's just all paper money. It's just out there. It doesn't belong to us yet. It's still elusive. 
But, you know, feeling better about my life or feeling better about my future based on my accumulated wealth. And you know what the desire for accumulated wealth leads to? Greed. It, it, it does. It, it can lead to greed. It, uh, money isn't the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so, so what, what about, um, I, I feel really good when I have a relationship that's strong and powerful. We know relationships gone wrong are codependency. Like you can't live well unless you've got this dependent need that's being met by someone else. See, we could go on and on and on and unpack all of these unhealthy ways that move us away from surrender to Jesus. And Jesus just simply says, our next step toward him is the best step ever in our life. Don Williams says, idols make us into themselves, but if we worship the living God, we become more and more like him, and I love this, in our intentions and our actions. I'll say it again, our next step toward Jesus is always our best step, and this leads us to the possibility and the freedom of being and becoming. Being and becoming. So our worship, of God for who he is and what he has done the grand expectation and surprise of his presence that meets us in our everyday ordinary life becomes the object of our focus and intention rightly Jesus says the first and foremost is love God with everything you've got can I tell you one of the most meaningful practices in my life right now in terms of regulating my love of God it's the simplest thing we did we just did it this morning and I am expectant and surprised regularly as I pray our father who art in heaven holy is your name and I often get just stopped right here let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I am so amazed how regularly I am surprised, but I expect, I expect it. So you say, well, you're getting what you're looking for, but sometimes it's give us today our daily bread. Sometimes it's forgive us as we forgive others. And I say, I don't want to. And he says, you should, because that's how you, you forgive as you're for, forgiven. It, Lead us not into temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. For, and sometimes he gets all the way to the end and the explosion of the glory of God meets me with great surprise because I see Revelation 21 becoming a fulfillment where he says everything is made new. All things are made new. To him be glory and praise and power and dominion for he is the one through whom all wisdom, authority, and power are distributed to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this worship leads us to a life of overflowing witness. And so I just want with the time I have left, just a couple of minutes, I want to talk to you the awe-filled nature of witness. So witness is flow and overflow. 
Everyone was filled with awe. Here, here, here's the flow. All the believers were together. They continued to meet together. They broke bread together. They ate together. They praised God together. They enjoyed the favor of the people together. And the Lord added to the church those daily who were being saved. Last week, Kurt reminded us that our life, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. The overflowing intentions and actions of God at work in our lives become embodiment as we live them out. And so the believers there in, the, in, in Acts had their everyday ordinary lives activated, moved upon, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can, can I tell you what they didn't do? Okay. Remember... Remember they, 120 gathered in the upper room for a period of time watching, waiting, and praying? The Holy Spirit's poured out upon them. Do you know what they didn't do? They didn't go back to the upper room. Do you understand that that's a normal way of experiencing the awakening presence of God? Is we, instead of living it out in our everyday, ordinary lives, that we go back to the cloistered place that we were waiting and watching. And God says, no, 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 I've already given it to you. Go. This is for the purpose of going. This isn't the purpose for cloistering yourself away so that you can get more. And that's why I used the terminology flow and overflow. You see, I grew up in a classic Pentecostal church. And I can tell you that most often we were waiting for overflow before we went out. Like the compulsion, like this is so good I can't hold it to myself anymore. And then there was this mm, kind of release that sort of empowered you for just a little bit. But then you had to go back to the upper room because you didn't have enough in your everyday ordinary life. So you had to get more. So it had to come out of overflow. And I don't think that's the way it works. I mean... It does, but I don't think that's the way life in the Spirit is intended. I think life in the Spirit is intended for practical, ongoing application that we are never alone. The work of the Spirit is flowing through us wherever we go, whatever we're doing, and kindness and mercy and love and engagement and smiles and the capacity just to say yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and you've heard me say it if you've heard me preach very much at all, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, as I understand them, always invite me to do something that's better than me. Like, I have ideas, but when the Spirit speaks to me, it's always better than me. It's always better than me. More grace-filled, more loving, more risking like like do it do it do it and this is the work of the spirit so let's just look at how their everyday lives were activated moved and empowered by the holy spirit they were eager to receive instruction they desired to believe and obey jesus teaching they were connected in love they generously served one another they worshiped joyfully in the temple in homes in sharing meals in prayer, they were engaged in their community and they were not self-centered or self-absorbed. And that list is uh, compliments of John Stott. I just love John, uh, Anglican priest. 
wonderful, wonderful teacher. And so as I close, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to borrow a word or a phrase from Ed Stetzer. Um, Ed is a friend of the Vineyard, and he regularly preaches, and he's uh, well-known in Southern Baptist circles. And Ed regularly posts on his social media when he's going to preach somewhere, pray that we make much of Jesus. Pray that we make much of Jesus. The Holy Spirit always makes much of Jesus. And so as I close, this is a note from, again, John Stott. There's no need for us to wait. No need for us to wait as the 120 had to wait. For the Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost and has never left His church. Our responsibility is to humble ourselves before His sovereign authority to determine not to quench. Okay, this is Alan's translation. Get out of the way. Get out, don't, be the, don't be the log jam. Don't block the flow. To not quench Him, but to allow Him his freedom. So therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit is a surprise in us and allows us to live with expectation and surprise of what we have experienced and more, more to come by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, O oh Lord, fill us with awe and action and we welcome you Lord Jesus, we welcome you to bring the freedom that comes to us in the gift and gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is the awesome experience that we desire to have in Christ and the gift he promised he would give and has given. Coming and coming. That's the beauty of the Spirit, present among us, but we're always invited to experience more. Right? Like Paul says it this way, there is no law against more of the Spirit. Have as much as you want. There's, there's, there's no prohibition, no cutting you off, right? No cutting you off. There's, there's just more availability, right? More availability. And so as I close today, I want you to stand. And uh, I have a really simple invitation today. And three, threefold. One, it's possible, possible today that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and the invitation is simply this. You need to take your next step toward Jesus and the step is simply this, a step of surrender. And so today, if you're here and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus by following him. I will follow you. Yes to you in all things.
I'm sorry that I've been living a life that's been totally focused on my self-absorption and my self-containment. And I want to give my life, who I am, all that I am to you. I want to follow you today. I say yes to following you. The second idea is that you're just curious and expecting. You're a follower of Jesus. You're like, man... I don't know that I've ever heard anybody talk quite like this about what the Holy Spirit's doing, but I'm curious, and there's this notion, there's this notion that you would want some. Curious and expectant. I'd like to, I'd like to be surprised by this life of worship and witness. And then the third is you're familiar, right? But today there's a hunger in your heart that says, I want more. I, I know what it tastes like. I know what it looks like. I want more. And so I'm going to pray a prayer of closing. If you want prayer for any of those things or anything else, while I pray the prayer of closing, I'm going to ask you to come and stand here, and then you'll be joined by others uh, from our ministry team that will be available to pray with you. And uh, so I pray this prayer. I bless you now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to be those who are awakened to the awe and mystery of our Jesus and the Spirit, the gift promised that has come. Awaken us with greater expectation, and oh God, do what you love to do. Surprise us. Surprise us in the ordinary. Surprise us in the ordinary. We love the fantastic, but we live so much in the ordinary. I ask, surprise us in the ordinary. Satisfy our soul in you and you alone. Today, oh God, as you do this work, cause us to be those who have soft hearts and receptive ears and minds, eyes, to see who you are and what you're doing. And we say now, we welcome you, Lord Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us, I pray. This I ask in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.